Imagine yourself under a starry sky around the warm glow of the sacred fire. As your hosts, Saren Odinson, Jim Two Snakes, and Caitlin Stormbreaker, talk about shamanism, animism, books, science, psychology, pop culture, and more. Welcome to a show inspired by those late night conversations by real life spiritual practitioners. Won't you come and join us around Grandfather Fire? In the time of the seventh fire, new people will emerge. They will retrace their steps to find what was left by the trail. Their steps will take them to the elders who they will ask to guide them on their journey. But many of the elders will have fallen asleep. They will awaken to this new time with nothing to offer. Some of the elders will be silent because no one will ask anything of them. The new people will have to be careful in how they approach the elders. The task of the new people will not be easy. If the new people will remain strong in their quest, the water drum of the Midiwin Lodge will again sound its voice. There will be a rebirth of the Anishinaabe nation and a rekindling of old flames. The sacred fire will again be lit. It is in this time that the light-skinned race will be given a choice between two roads. If they choose the right road, then the seventh fire will light the eighth and final fire, an eternal fire of peace, love, brotherhood, and sisterhood. If the light-skinned race makes the wrong choice of the roads, then the destruction that they brought with them in coming to this country will come back at them and cause much suffering and death to all the Earth's people. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Around Grandfather Fire. You're listening to episode number 76. I am Jim Two Snakes, joined, as always, by my good friends and co-hosts, Saren Thodenson and Caitlin Stormbreaker. And how are you both doing tonight? I'm doing okay. I've been working on some crafting projects because I needed to step outside of my mind for a while, but... (laughs) Painted too many brain pictures. weasels. <laughs> yeah, apparently. Um, and those brain weasels wanted two different pictures painted at kind of in tandem with each other. It's very weird. Oh, they look really but, nice, though. The stuff you've been posting up on the Discord chat is really nice. Thank you. Um, and then finally got my jewelry done, which I'm really excited about because that's been two years, no, three years in the making. Wow. Uh, searching for beads, the right beads. Um, <laughs> and I finally found them. So <laughs> That is really awesome. How about you, Saren? Uh, I have been a bit busy between work and life and then work with a capital W. Um, (laughs) uh, Looked at a house today. So uh, hopefully we'll see what happens. You know, it's already got a contingent on it. So I'm not like, this has to be the one. But if it is the one, it'll be freaking awesome. Um, Saren's bed and breakfast. (laughs) Come for yeah. the sleep and stay for the possessions. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the place we're looking at actually is is one property with two houses. One's a forty seven hundred square footer, and the other one's a twenty seven hundred square foot. And the twenty seven hundred square footer isn't actually finished yet, so it doesn't count as a as a residence. So mm-hmm. we'd have to do some work, and we'd have to finish it up, but. Oh my God, the place is just 
awesome. It used to, it was a, it's a former wedding chapel, and it's really close to our home. So that's really awesome. <sighs> Crossing fingers, fingers throwing right. down fehus and other runes <laughs> as appropriate. Um, that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. And so a lot of the prosperity work that I've been doing over the last couple of years is really coming to the fore because I've talked on the show about uh, carrying on a relationship with the money spirits and the uh, the Dvergar, the dwarves. And some of that is starting to really come to fruition. And it's funny you know, how some people, they'll build their fortune. It'll be a series mm-hmm. of just mm-hmm. fortune smiles on them. For me, it's been very much the dwarf way of slowly plugging away at it. Um, so that's really what I've been up to besides working and <laughs> doing spirit consultations and ring readings and things like that. And that has been really satisfying. I got to say, um, I, I take a great deal of satisfaction from, from doing the work, especially because I get to see people both at the beginning and at really interesting crossroads in their lives. And yeah, I really just want to thank people that trust me with that level of, of, care that's a real i don't quite know how to put that into words but it's a real blessing <laughs> mm-hmm. yep i understand how about you john um, how have you been doing oh doing well i mean we'll, i'll cover it briefly basically been a lot of storm cleanup plus there's a lot of trees in our yard including one of the cedar trees that i loved so much and one of the pear trees that grandma planted so been doing a lot of cleanup on that area working talking about next spring uh, replanting part of the yard into an orchard. It used to be an orchard. Mm. It's a big patch of field called the old orchard, although it's not anymore, but we think maybe it's time for it to be again, because then we'd have some pears and apples. Uh, Mm. The deer would be extremely happy with as Our chickens would probably like it (laughs) and it's less area to mow. So that's less pollution. That's less stuff to do. So we're thinking planting the orchard in the spring. So that's what we've been doing is working on planting that out. Good idea. Fabulous. Yeah. So not bad. Can't complain overall. Once we got power back finally. We're without power for about a week, so that kind of mm, you know how that is, but yep. yeah, we lost power for about four days, so I, I feel ya. I, well, I would I wouldn't know, but <laughs> we didn't lose power yeah. at all. Yeah, by the way, yeah, to quiet, our listeners, Sarenth lives around the corner from me and he did not lose power. <laughs> oh, <laughs> just uh, lucky, I guess. Usually it's the other way around because uh, we're at the end of the terminal. It's really weird. We're used to losing power. Like, Yeah, I think you're on a different <laughs> grid than we are. Right. Yep. So, well, I- I'd like to go ahead and introduce our guest if we could. Yes, please. Um, uh, we have all been really excited and looking forward to this. And this is someone who uh, I think first came to my attention just a few weeks back, really, because he was pictured with President Biden. Got an opportunity to meet President Biden with, when, uh, when President Biden was here in Michigan. And so then I started following this person and the various groups that he's involved with. And I've already been following a lot of the, the water protectors for Line 5 and that sort of thing and, and thought this was a wonderful opportunity to have a deeper conversation about some of these subjects. So we would like to welcome Nathan Wright joining us tonight. Hello, Nathan. Hello, everyone. Thank you for having me. Appreciate the invite. And uh, yeah, 
here I am. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for taking time out of your busy day to spend a little bit of that with us. Oh, no problem. Looking forward to the discussion. (laughs) Busy day indeed, uh, because just like 20 minutes ago, you were on the Mackinac Bridge, so... Yes. Yep. I'm doing some <laughs> harvesting. And, and it's funny because I'm, I'm hearing you guys, you know, do your introduction. And as we're doing that, I'm, I'm looking at this, some type of monument here in St. Ignace. And it's, it's for some guy, uh, it's just a bunch of rocks and there's like a big rock on top. And I'm just looking at it going, what is this for? And it says something like dedicated to the memory of someone that worked on the highway. And I'm just looking at it and it was done in 1929. And I'm like, but what is the significance of this? Like, what is his story? You know, like, why is there a big gigantic boulder sitting on top of these other boulders? Like, there must be some significance to it. And and there absolutely isn't. But it, I'm, in, I'm sitting here in like this little park uh, right next to I-75. And then they also have the old Mackinac Trail road still here, like a, a part of it. Like, it's it's really weird. It's a weird area. So it's uh, just north of St. Ignace, not far from the, the, the casino, uh, Quaid and Casino, but it's actually the old two-lane road. They left like 70 feet one way and then the other way like 100 feet. It's just a weird park that I, I don't – but I wish there was more signage that explained something like this is the way the road used to look or something and then we dedicated right. this this person because they did this, but there's – there's absolutely nothing. There's a couple of gigantic cedar trees, which is what brought my attention because I'm looking for some, um, we're making, we're getting ready to do the wild ricing here. And mm-hmm. um, so I'm looking for what's called, uh, they're, they're push poles, but we need what we call Ys. So they're branches that look like Ys. And unfortunately, we need them from the bigger cedar trees and there's not many of them. But here, there happens to be a couple big cedar trees. But unfortunately, I don't think I can cut them here because this is city property. But uh, nonetheless, it was intriguing to see. And I guess if they ever need me to prune their trees, I'll be more than happy to come up here and prune some because there's some potentially nice wise in those trees that we could use for our push poles, which we use for wild racing. So, um, but I was listening to what your, your intro there, I was listening to that. And I got a little emotional because because mm-hmm. uh, I think we're we're kind of dealing with that right now. Like actually, some I of the things some of the things that you are stating. I mean, I'm aware of that prophecy, but I you didn't really connect it till you said that. And I'm like, that's happening like right now. And I just got done doing a video talking about how we should listen to elders more. Uh, when I, I do this thing called right now, right now, minute on Mackinac bridge, whenever I cross it, and I just talk about random things. But, um, what I talked about this time was community and elders. Cause I was just at a community event, uh, with some elders and, uh, one elder just flat out told me, you know, I'm 72 years old. Uh, I plan on staying around a bit longer, but I have a lot of information I need to give to other people. And he just looked right at me, you know, like, 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 I'm giving it to you right now. You know, are you listening? You know, and I, I just sat down and listened to him. And he told me a lot of things, a lot of things I didn't know. Uh, very intelligent man. And um, we talked uh, about many different topics. But just I've always been trying to encourage people that when you have an elder like that, that kind of reaches out to you, kind of, you know, wants to be your friend. Don't sit there and think that they're lonely by themselves and they just want a buddy. It's so often younger people think that way. 
you know, there's, there, there's, they're an elder for a reason. They made it to that point in their life. It's a status for them. And if they have a lot of knowledge they want to share with you, please listen to them. So many times people are picked out by elders to, 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 to be given their knowledge and people don't get that. They don't understand what is happening. And then that elder passes away. And then all that knowledge is gone from that community. Mm-hmm. So I encourage and implore people, always listen to your elders. It doesn't even matter what culture you're in. It's just that people, elders have all kinds of information that could save you a lot of time in your own personal life and your own struggles trying to figure things out. So you're, what, you, what you opened up with there was just perfect because I believe we are definitely in that time right now. And there are younger people who are out there who are trying to do things right now, but they're missing pieces. And the biggest piece I think they're missing is the, the spiritual component. And the spiritual component is when you make that connection with someone that's that when you are right in front of somebody and you're talking to them, that is a sacred connection you have created there. And when you, ha- when you open that up, all that knowledge is easier to obtain than it is on the phone or even on this way. I mean, we're getting some mm-hmm. of it here, but, in person is totally different. So, um, so yeah, that, that's the part that like a lot of people, you know, they learned a lot of things online, but then they don't have that spiritual connection. And I hear that from so many younger people because I was lucky. I grew up in a generation where we, we didn't have that. We didn't have the internet and all that stuff, you know, at least not immediately. So, so I, I grew up in that generation where we, would talk to elders and learn from them. They were our YouTube videos, you know, and there's so much more that I got out of that than what people are getting now. And I, I hear that, but people are hungry. They're hungry for that spiritual mm-hmm. component. Like they really are. They don't know how to get it. And then when someone starts talking or even like what I'm saying right now, they're like, wow, I never heard this before or something like that. It's like, no, I know I get it because, you know, a lot of people, relied heavily on the uh, internet for their information but then now that they have it all they know themselves they're missing pieces and so they're they're starting to look for you know elders or or people that they can uh, connect with at least that's been my observation and i think that kind of goes along with what that prophecy is saying there's younger people you know they're 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 kind of figuring stuff out but they don't have it totally figured out and there are elders there that are sitting there with knowledge, waiting for someone to come up and speak to them and ask them questions. And no one does. Mm-hmm. And um, and then they pass away. So they, so I, I, I can tell you right now, without a doubt, there's a ton of elders out there that are in that situation waiting for someone to come ask them. So anyways, just a, a food for thought and maybe maybe a possible yeah. good topic here to talk about. Yeah, well, I, th- I think a lot of people are actually not aware of that spiritual hunger that they're feeling. They they don't have words for it. They don't have the vocabulary for it because spirituality has been stripped from us through consumerism and through the way the world is run nowadays. And so they don't really have an understanding of what they're seeking, but they know that they're looking for something, which is why we do what we do so that they can put words to what they're feeling so that they can actually hear our voices talk about this and then hopefully hear your message and go see their grandparents or even their parents even and sit down and have a long conversation with them. But I, I agree with what you're saying. Absolutely. 
Oh, part of why I chose yeah. that passage too is it talks a little bit about the white people making a choice. And I think the, the three of us on this show are really aware of the fact that um, we're in a time where choices have to be made. And so, like, I think that we can even talk about cross-cultural elders. I have learned so much when I go to powwows or I just sit at a Native elder's feet because I have to understand the live, land that I live in now. I have to understand how to live it in a, a better way. And so, you know, the elders from other cultures can teach us a ton as well. I might not learn everything about the the native culture, but I certainly will learn some lessons that will enrich me and, and my culture because I'll be passing that on to my children and the people that I know. Well, you know, what's interesting with what you're saying, and, and, and a lot of people have been talking about this lately too, um, the history of the United States, the history of Turtle Island, the history of Canada, you know, it's not just whatever, 200, 300, you know, it's not just that when the United States came into existence, it's not just that it goes beyond that. It goes to the history of the indigenous people that were here. And this thought, this ideal came up from a person that they, they told me their family came from, uh, I think it was Poland or somewhere in Europe. And they said, when they came here, they kind of left that all like for whatever reason, I don't know if there was a problem there, but they, they just said, you know, we left that, that this is where we're at. We're here in the United States now. So we want to learn everything about it. So, so you know, they, they actually told me that. They said, you know, your history is actually the history I want to learn. I want to know because I'm here on this land. Mm-hmm. I don't want to know just the history of the people that colonize this area. I want to know the history of the land and the people that lived here. And I thought, wow, that's, that's so beautiful. And why don't we teach that? You know, why don't we teach that in our, in our schools and that? It, it would create so much understanding, not only in just, you know, simple you know the the the, or i shouldn't say simple but the the race relation aspect of it but just in the the understanding of the Mm -hmm. care for the land and or or even the care for how we are as as a a community you know and and how we work as a community because i think there's a lot of things in indigenous culture that mainstream culture can learn from you know even like i said in the video across the bridge you know about um how we take care of our elders. And I think we do a better job of it than other cultures. I'll just say it like that. And I was using an example, like when we go to sit in a car, like let's say there's four of us and there's four seats in the car. Um, there's an older person with the other three, you know, the driver, and then there's the older person. The All three of us know who that, that older person, we know where they're going to sit already. There's There's no argument. No one's going to sit there and try to, no younger person is going to jump and sit in the front seat because they already know who that's designated for. Now that seems so simple, but if you do an experiment, you'll see other cultures don't think that way. It's more like whoever gets in the seat first gets it or a person has to ask. You see what I mean? It's those little nuances that we do of respect towards our elders and our elders know this. They know we treat them with respect. They know we'll give up the seat. Uh, if they want, you know, a lot of, a lot of them are very humble and they're like, no, 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 that's okay. And we'll do it anyways, but that's how we are. Um, And it's, it's, I like that. We're like that. I like that we're respect because, because there is something that we do get out of it, you know, even though we shouldn't expect anything out of it, but we do get a tremendous amount of knowledge 
uh, from them, uh, knowledge on life, stuff that would save us time, you know. And sadly, you know, like a lot of cultures, a lot of times people in their, you know, teens and 20s aren't listening as well as they should. And they get older and they come back and start asking questions with those elders. But I, um, I just like that, that notion of the history of the United States continues beyond when the Declaration of Independence was signed. Mm-hmm. It's before that. Wouldn't it be wonderful if all different areas taught that, that history and culture, even the, even just the, the, some of the things that we did, the agricultural work, stuff like that. Uh, or even the remnants of some of our work that we've done, like a gardens we planted, like with the wild rice. There's there's these wild rice mm-hmm. gardens that we planted that we still tender to this day. Um, there's new ones that we're planting. There's ones that we're reestablishing that were there that are no longer there. And with that, that means we need clean water. So we need to take right. care of our water like that. So we need to pull out of our wild harvesting of wild rice every year and then talk about water protection, talk about protecting it from the pipeline companies, uh, which a lot of their pipelines go right through uh, wetland areas that I harvest from, uh, especially line five, for sure. I, I, I run across that pipeline all the time when I'm out wild harvesting. And uh, I always wonder if I'm going to be like uh, like the, the, the 60s show, the Beverly uh, Hillbillies, where, you know, oh, right. Jeff, uh, Jed goes out and he sees this oil bubbling up. You know, I'm wondering if I'm going to end up being like the Jed that that sees his oil bubbling up, but I don't make millions from it. I, instead, I, I, you know, it's, 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 I wonder if I'm going to be that person because that's probably how simple that situation is going to happen. It's not going to be a big explosion. It's going to be something right. that's been slowly sitting there for a long time. Yeah. And it might be yeah, it's a funny. It's a funny visual, but it's not funny. The fact that that's probably got a lot of accuracy to it. Oh, for sure. And I mean, there's, so, so, so I'm, I'm just trying to equate that we, you see, we have to think like almost multidimensional, you know, we have to think, okay, we're protecting our treaty rights. We're, we're, and we're in, by protecting that, we also have to do our treaty rights. We have to do the wild rice scene, which is one of the reasons why the Anishinaabe came to this area is for, is for the, the, the food that, the monomen, the food that grows on water. Um, but then on top of that, we have to make sure the water's protected so we could have the treaty rights and then, you know, there's all kinds of things that are happening right now that are really off balance, that are confusing for us as people, even like the fish, you know, a lot of the fish are starting to become contaminated or high levels of mercury. And there's actually some people I know that aren't even eating fish no more. And this is one of our treaty rights. This is one of the things that was given or not given to us was, was, uh, Treaty treaty rights, as we all know, they're they're retained rights. They're not given to us. Right. We, we're retaining the rights that we have. A lot of people misunderstand that and think we were given those rights. We are retaining those rights. But um, this is all a very complicated time. And, you know, add on top of it with COVID, everything that's going on, it's just everyone is wondering what the heck to do at this point. And uh, we as Anishinaabek, we're just trying to retain our culture and our traditions and keep things going uh, for future generations. And, and that includes protecting the pipelines and protecting the environment as well. Something that um, occurs to me as I'm listening to all this, you know, I'm thinking, you know, line five is Enbridge Energy. Um, and if anybody has any doubts about 
the intents of this company. All you have to do is look at what happened with the Kalamazoo River spill. They weren't the ones that called the whistle on that. They're the sons of bitches that tried to cover it up and tried to hide from the people what was going on. And it's they're still not done dredging the damn thing. Like, folks, this is nothing to play with. This is going through waterways. This is killing. This is the sheer amount of damage that this can do to people, to wildlife, to our water, to the air. It's unacceptable, utterly unacceptable. Um, you know, every time I think, and when people are like, oh, but, you know, we need the, we need that, we need it. No, we don't. It doesn't even go to us. Like, it doesn't go to anybody who's in the path of this pipeline. Like, no, like, literally nobody benefits from it but this company. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know what you're trying to defend, folks. Um, this thing is a, is a, something that uh, Jim turned me on to was the terminology of the black snake. And I think that's very apt. Um, in English, uh, old magic, the uh, snake, the ator, was something that you'd use magic on to get rid of. Uh, there's a section in uh, the uh, Merseburg charm, which talks about how the different sacred herbs could uh, be used to make the, bla- the uh, evil snakes of disease go flying. And I think that anybody of goodwill at this point should be putting all their focus especially if you live in Michigan, all your focus on this, these black snakes need to die because if they don't, they're going to kill us. And even if you don't care about treaty rights, that's great. You're still living here. It's going to poison your waterways too. Like if you can't care about other people, selfish self-interest at this point should tell you this is a bad idea. I think what frustrates me the most outside of the fact that you are actively fighting to protect your treaty rights, which I think is, it, it hurts me on a very deep level that you have to do that. Um, but we have energy sources that are renewable and that are safe for the environment. So why is line five necessary? Why are we choosing to pollute what we have left? Because it, it, and when I say what we have left is what I mean, what we have left. The amount of old growth forests that we have left in the world is less than 5% of the forests that exist in the United States. There's one old growth forest that I know of in the UP because all of it has been clear cut for mining. Why are we not fighting harder for this? Why is this something that is difficult for us to understand? You know, water is not just sacred to us. Water is sacred to the plants and the animals, into the land itself, to air. It's sacred to everything. Why are we not trying to do something more? Well, if you're asking me that question, um, well, first off, you know, when you were talking about, like, how that touches your heart, us battling, you know, us fighting. I mean, you got, you, you kind of triggered a little bit of the emotion in me because, because, you know, if you think about it on a, on a grander scale and I'm driving by the way, and if by chance I cut out because I am up in the UP, I will call back in. <laughs> so, so, uh, no problems. 
want to pre- preface that. But um, we, there's always a battle. There's always some war that we're fighting. You know, and right now it's it's like the pipeline wars. You know, there is always some war we're fighting as indigenous people. And my dad fought them. His grandparents fought them. You know, there's always something. And yeah, I mean, wouldn't it be nice that we that, that we wouldn't have to worry about that? And why? Yeah, the, the question: Why aren't other people joining in or, or helping out on a grander scale than what than what it is now? We have a hard time getting um, people from from Michigan to to uh, help out with this, and I, I think in part it, it might be because of political pressure, because the pipeline does donate a lot of money to different cities and that just to basically buy them off which should be illegal but for some reason it's not um so they get that loyalty from the cities and their their council and their 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 board and committees you know they get that approval from them and so 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 then if someone in the community is speaking against the pipeline i think they're they're kind of talked down to you know or or it could be a they could affect them in a negative way so that might be one reason, especially up here in Michigan, especially in like the St. Ignace area, which is pretty much uh, pro-pipeline because they've donated a lot of money in that. But there are a lot of people there, too, that are totally against it. But they don't speak up or they don't get involved because then, you know, if their picture's taken, you know, or at some event, then they're, they're you know, like they're awful people. So... I mean, I don't even worry about it at this point because I know a lot of them hate my guts for what I'm doing and which blows my mind because I'm doing this for everybody. But yeah, there's a group of people that don't seem to understand that. But, uh, you know, we, we don't, it's not a political thing, even though people have made it into that. It really isn't. Um, and we do have people who are bipartisan who agree with us on uh, getting uh, line five out. They understand that if that pipeline leaks or when it leaks, that it's going to cause problems for all of us up here. They, there's a lot of people that do understand that. But then there's the people who are brought and paid for or maybe who have families working uh, for the pipeline, family members and such. They're the ones that are against it. But to answer your question, I don't, I don't have a set answer because I, I've been to so many different actions so many different things that we did and you know I'm always thankful for the people that do come but I always say yeah you know I wish we had more we had a lot of people come up over 500 for the eviction event in May uh, which uh, Mackinac Day my group was a part of and a couple other groups that, that, that helped organize that and we were that was amazing to have that many people, but a lot of those people also came from Minnesota too, because uh, we had Winona LaDuke come up. So, so she brought a lot of the groups that she's associated with. So wouldn't it be wonderful though, that if we could do one here in Michigan, where we could actually have a thousand people up here that are all from Michigan, that are all concerned about having the pipeline shut down and because uh, they understand that we don't want to have our lakes and contaminated. We don't want to have, an oil spill that will never be cleaned up like Alaska Valdez, that, that oil spill from 40, 50, whatever it was, 40 years ago, 30 years ago, that pipeline is still that, that, not that pipeline, that oil spill from the ship is still, you can still see it. You go there, pick up a rock. It's still there. 
they are not required to clean up. They're required to do it for a certain period of time, two, three years. It's then they go into a court and it's the judge that makes that decision. Have you cleaned it up? And they say, yes, we cleaned it up. They say, okay, well, how long have you been doing it? Three years, you spent this amount of money. Okay, that sounds cleaned up to me. Boom, that's it. So people think, for those that think that it's easy for them to clean up that oil, they're wrong. It is not easy and it'll never go away. And you're in our lifetime, if there's a pipeline spill that happens here, like tomorrow, that will never go away in our lifetime. We will always see remnants of it. And then people will start saying, why didn't we do anything about it? Why didn't we try to stop it? And it's like, people like me are going to go, we were saying this for the longest time. We asked for your help and we didn't get any. We can't do it all by ourselves. Yeah. It's worth pointing out that the Deepwater Horizon spill that hit 11 years ago is still causing ongoing damage because even if you got the uh, the chemicals, which they were touting, we're going to just take care of this problem. What it actually does is it microlyzes them. It turns them into smaller particles and it doesn't actually fix the problem. They basically applied a bunch of Band-Aid solutions that on the surface looked like it fixed the problem, but they were arresting people on the beaches for years because of the shit that was washing up. Pardon my... I just It makes me so unbelievably angry just how much grift and horseshit these people get away with. Because well, they, they make the people, they lulls people to a false sense of security. Sorry. Yeah. Well, that. like you were saying, Terrence, the, the, the Kalamazoo River oil spill here in Michigan, that was in, what, 2001, I think it was. And there's still places along that river, people who own houses and property, they're still using bottled water, even though they're right next to a river, they're still can go out in their backyard by the river and turn over a large stone and find yeah. oil. That was 11 years it, ago as well. Yeah, it doesn't, it just, it doesn't vanish. It doesn't just go away. And especially with some of those areas where the wild rice is growing, correct me if I'm wrong, Nathan, but where the wild rice is growing, you don't even have good water flow or movement like you would for a river. So it's really just going to seep to the bottom and sit there forever. What really kind of goads my goat about a lot of these things is we have, we have teenagers right now that are doing more than corporations to help clean up the mm-hmm. world. I mean, there's that kid, I don't remember his name or where he was from, but he developed a machine, a freestanding machine to float around in the ocean to pick up trash because we have a, a garbage dump in our ocean that is actively killing marine life. And then you've got Greta Thunberg who is going around and talking to different countries, begging them begging them to do something so that she has a future. Why, why did that responsibility have to fall to their shoulders? I mean, I know my parents, and this is a phrase that I said uh, to somebody, I don't remember who, but I said hippies breed hippies, um, which is true because both of my parents were hippies and they're in the recycling business. They burn waste oil, they recycle car parts, they recycle metal, they do all sorts of stuff, and they make sure that their land is clean and not polluting the farmlands around them. Now, they can't speak for every salvage yard in Michigan, but their generation, and and this is something my mom said to me when I was kind of expressing my anger and frustration over this, 
their generation was sort of lied to when it came to recycling in that day. Because they said, well, if you recycle and if you, little person, do all of this stuff, then you're really helping the earth and you're really doing these amazing things while the corporations just kind of snuck through the the back door, not really doing the same thing and continuing to put out the same amount of pollution and corruption into the, the world and keeping everything kind of under the rug like, oh, no, it's totally on you guys. Yeah, if you do it, we can save the earth. And a lot of people thought they were they were not jobs for collecting cans and bottles off of the side of the road and taking them to be recycled. And even now being an avid recycler, there's still kind of that, that stigma of like, Oh, you, you pick up trash in a public park. That's so gross. Like, why would you do that? That's somebody else's garbage. And it's like, well, I came here to enjoy nature. I didn't come here to enjoy your garbage dump. Uh, I think something I wanted to pick up on, if you don't mind. Go for it. Um, I think asking, you know, the why question is is fine. But after a certain point, it's like um, my mind goes to Gandalf. You know, I wish, you know, his conversation with Samwise, you know, I wish, you know, we didn't have to deal with all these things. It says, so do all who live to see such times, but that's not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that's given to us. You know, um, it sucks. It's unfair. The native peoples of this world should not have to fight so damn hard for what they retained as their rights. They shouldn't have to do all this fighting for 80% of the biodiversity. Um, it shouldn't be on the backs of the younger and the children, the older people who actually have the money and the power should be making the correct decision. But at this point, if they don't want to make the correct decision, well, they're, they're, they're in the wrong and we have to oppose them. And regardless of how right or wrong they feel in their hearts, we know what reality is. We know what's at stake. We know that our gods, our ancestors, and our spirits are calling us to action. However, we can come to that action. Not everybody can go to a protest. Not even, this is something I know we want to talk with, with Nathan about, so I won't go too much on it. But, but the, the why is a, a good question, but ultimately... I guess I just I just go good question, but I care more about what are we going to do now because unfortunately we're saddled with this and it sucks. <laughs> yeah, and and you're right, it does suck, and we've kind of found ourselves at the point of oh no, I lost it. Oh, we're we're at the point now where you have to remind yourself that the thought of well somebody else will do it no longer applies. You can no longer use that as a viable reason to not speak out against something. You can no longer live in your your fear of upsetting somebody because you want to express what you believe. You know, my I I love my mom dearly, um, but we we greatly disagree on the oil discussion. She supports it. I oppose it. I think it's time we move on to something else. But these are open conversations that we have, and it does get heated at times. But I no longer care what she thinks about me and my opinion because it needs to be said. You know, and there are people in my life, and I I will say it, and I will say it again and again, and I don't 
care anymore what people think. I will fight for this. I will speak my voice because somebody has to do it. And if we all say it, then hopefully somebody will fucking listen. Well, the realistic thing is that um, by many accounts, it only really takes 3% of the population being very actively protesting to really swing public policy. The question is, can we muster that 3%? Because right now, I don't think we are. This is where I think our communities have the opportunity to really shine. Like, put your feet, put your money, put your effort where your mouth is, people. If yep. you consider the land sacred, if you consider that the gods are part of the landscape, if you want to please the ancestors, fucking do something. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. Talk is cheap. Donate to you know, your water protectors. And, and I realize else. I realize that it's difficult because we are trapped in the system we're trying to change. Yeah. You know, the analogy that's always made about horse manure and cars is correct. You can't eliminate, you know, of course, you're going to generate more horse manure while you're riding horses because cars haven't come along yet because that's your only option. So horses are your only option. And we're kind of at the point where oil and plastic are kind of the system we're stuck in. But that doesn't mean we can't continue to fight against that system and, and resist it from within the system to, to, I mean, what other options really do we have, you know, right? None of us want to lay down and die for this system. So what can we do? Exactly. To dig exactly. our heels in, you know, and it's, it's almost—it's almost like the whole colonial. It's just like the colonial thing brought this all on, and it's almost—it's like we're just dependents. That's really it. I mean, so, so, so we could fight the pipelines and all that stuff, but are we really getting to the root of the problem? And I mean, the root of the problem is—is is colonialism in itself. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what's causing mm-hmm. these problems, and they will continue to cause these problems. Um. You know, we're trying to tell people, hey, alternative energy can can create jobs. Uh, there will be jobs for alternative energy uh, and, and the, the displacement of people that work in, the, you know, oil production, all that stuff could easily be converted to, uh, you know, alternative energy. But then, you know, I guess people fear the unknown, and that's probably why there's resistance to that. But, you know, we could all agree as humans at some point we are going to run out of oil. We are mm-hmm. going to have to have alternative energy. Uh, but just some of us want it sooner because of what we're seeing that's happening to the Mother Earth, the damage, the destruction that's being done. Um, the, 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 I don't really care what happens in the next life. I'm more care. I, I, I'm more concerned with right now. I'm not concerned with the future. I'm concerned with my life. As long as it doesn't affect me or I don't have to see it, I don't care. And that's, that's a sad way to exist to think that way, mm-hmm. not to Sorry. not think about future you know i I mean that's sad nathan that that actually would you say i think it does has to do some with that cultural thing that you were talking about earlier Uh, like indigenous communities respect their elders longer uh the indigenous communities tend to think more about the generations that have come before and the ones that will be following they tend to think a lot more beyond the here and now of what's going on in my life yes absolutely um and that's and that's because it's a different culture. You know, it's, a, it's not colonialism. It's, it's a community-based culture. You know, it's not, it's not socialism, even though some people will say that. It's, it's, it's very unique. 
You know, there was trading. You know, there was, we did have a, a little bit of capitalism, but it was more, you know, trading. And, and I mean, which is really not that different from the money thing that we do now um, in, in, in some ways, because, you know, beaver pelts at one point were considered, you know, like cash at some point. But the trading aspect of it, you know, you ever do a trade with somebody and, and you think back on it and you think you got a good deal. Mm-hmm. And I guarantee you that other person is saying the same thing. I got a good deal. I mean, that's what makes trading great is that you both think you got a, a good deal and you're happy with it. Plus, there's that connection you have with that person, though. That person treated me right. Do you, when you exchange money, you don't really think that way. You know what I mean? You don't remember that person, you know, but, but trading right. is, is an awesome thing. But, but there's, you know, indigenous cultures are very community based. And it's almost like if, if you want to understand that better, basically the way you are with your family or the way you were supposed to be, let's just say that, you know, people have different problems in their families, but let's say the way we're supposed to be with our families, that's kind of how indigenous communities are on a larger scale. Like we're all family, even though we're not all related, you know, maybe if you go back far enough, we are, but even though we're not like immediate families, we know there's certain things that we know with each other, how to act, even with new people, even with new people we've never met, there's just certain things that we do with each other that resonate all across Indian country. And it's really interesting that we all have those basic things that we take for granted. We don't really realize that we have these things. I do because I think about them a lot and I notice them a lot uh, because I hang out with everybody. You know, I hang out with all cultures, so I'm able to see it more clearly. And it's just, it's interesting. As you're talking, I'm just thinking to one of the the runes, uh, Gabo, which means gift for gift and exchange. And um, I think that the uh, I think that that basic premise of, of we're living in gifting relationships with each other is the foundation for a new world. Because if I'm not trying to get one over, but I'm trying to give a gift, whether it's to my family, my friend, person I've never met on the street, nature itself, whatever, <clears throat> whomever I'm having this exchange with. I'm trying to make this a, a win-win instead of a screw you, buddy. Oh, I think we might be losing Yeah, it might be losing him a little, losing the signal. Pot will, Can you hear me? Going for, oh, there we go. There you are. Okay. I had to lift my phone up to the left side of my shoulder, not the right <laughs> side. <laughs> a signal over there. That's how far in the UP I am. We got that Oh, so, so no, this, this thing about, uh, you see, we don't compete or we're not supposed to because we're taught to look for places to fill. So like, um, like we wouldn't go into an event under normal circumstances or, or some type of community thing with the intention of competing with somebody else. You see, we would instead look for what is missing. And then add that. So let's say, for example, let's say we were doing a traditional powwow and, you know, this other person did the exact same thing. Let, let's say I was making, you know, I don't even know. I don't even want to say anything that's going to be controversial. Let's say I was selling uh, baskets. Let's say I was selling ash baskets. And there was another person that was selling ash baskets, too. And they were there before me. 
I might still bring my baskets, but I might ask them if they mind if I come, you know, and they might say, yeah, well, you know, it's kind of not cool because I'm here, you know, and I might say, okay, well, you know what, I'm going to bring my birch bark baskets. You don't, you don't make those. I'll, I'll bring a lot more of those. So the example of that is that we don't compete. We look to fill space where we can, you know, obviously, you know, there are places where there's, you know, there could be three or four different ash baskets. It's just the world we live in, but generally we think more along that lines. Like we don't want to offend somebody and we might even have a talk with them. That's It's not even a requirement for the powwow or anything, but we might do it anyways, just to make sure that there's no uh, bad feelings with somebody that's there that's selling ash baskets. So that goes back to that, that we're not competing. We're just, you know, filling spaces. We're filling empty spaces. And I think that's the way we've always operated. And I think that's why indigenous people, we were, we're multi-skilled. We have a lot of different skills, especially, you know, the farther you go back. I mean, there's a ton of things that each indigenous person knew that were amazing just to survive up here. So they were able to, to flip, to just do something different because they had so many skills. So they didn't worry about competition, which makes people here like the, the mainstream, how there's so much worry about competition. You know, I always look at it that you just be better at what you're doing than anyone else or find a way to maybe market yourselves. So you are unique and it, it comes across that you're better in your field because of your uniqueness or something. In other words, I don't worry about that myself, the competition. I'm aware of competition because I run a business myself. I'm aware of competition, but I don't worry about it because I push to excel in areas where I know nobody wants to go uh, or are too difficult or, or I just have some resource that's available to me better than anyone else, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that it's a, a practice of remaining in uh, right relationships, not only with those around you, but within yourself. I think if you breed competition with other people, you're kind of breeding competition within yourself and bringing up uh, bad thought patterns and uh, a bad way to exist within the world. Um, but that that's an awesome philosophy. I wanted to comment on something that you're talking about earlier about how within the, the native family dynamic um, you guys just have these things that are innately known and passed down throughout the generations, like the respect for your elders and, you know, everybody doesn't compete with each other, but finds the spot that needs to be filled within the community and, I, I work at a greenhouse and they employ a lot of uh, people from Mexico and some of the girls there I've become very close with and they're a big group of sisters and we talk a lot about the different dynamics of how family works and um, even with their neighbors they're very close with and they have very good working relationships with their neighbors and I'm sitting here going I don't even know what my neighbor's name is. Like I wave to my neighbor across the street, but he just looks down at the ground and hurries to his diesel truck and then gets up, gets in and drives away like some weirdo. And I'm like, wait, maybe I'm the weirdo. Okay. 
Are we not supposed to be friends? Am I not supposed to ask you for a cup of sugar when I need one? Am I not supposed to, you know, give you a box from my garden that I have too many things picked from because it was very successful this year? Um, and I, I think a lot of that is missing within American culture, if you can even say that we have a culture, because I don't think we do. Um, I think we have consumerism and not culture. But I think finding a way to open ourselves up to those sorts of teachings um, from other cultures, and I'm not just saying pulling from First Nation cultures, but from cultures all over the world, it would really help to diversify our our hearts and our minds and our understandings of people around us and ourselves. Yeah. that um, you know, this, 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 what what you had mentioned earlier about, you know, this, this stuff is ingrained in us, you know, that we don't even aware, you know, I, I can't even explain to you everything that's different, but I am aware of some of the things. And sometimes I become more aware of those things that are different, you know, in indigenous culture and mainstream culture, because there, there, there is a lot of differences for sure. But, you know, it goes back to the colonialism thing, you know. Um, I mean, it's almost like, you know, they say capital capitalism, a country like the United States can only exist for a certain amount of time before it fails. And we're relatively, United States is relatively a new country. Um, but, you know, I don't know if anyone's ever done a study, like at the rate we're going with the resources we're using and oil, all everything, everything that the extractions from the earth, all that stuff. At what point is that all going to crash? You know, and, um, it's almost like we're at a point where we need to start considering on combining cultures and philosophies because, the way we're doing it right now isn't isn't long lasting. But what's interesting about me saying that is there's probably half of the country would disagree with that statement. Like we're we're at a split, a complete split, like in in our values and beliefs, and 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 it's it's so strong that it's you know politics has almost become like a new religion. You know, so 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 how do we get over that? How do we get around that? I think to a certain degree. Uh, having watched QAnon eat several family members, I'm not sure that I can provide much in the way of comfort on this because, unfortunately, it's a self-replicating, self-eating machine at this point. I think the best way that we can go forward is to disengage from the people that it has eaten um, and show them by example that it's not acceptable. Because um, I think that's the only way that some folks are going to get the wake-up call. But for for th- folks that are neck deep in this stuff, it is a spiritual belief at this point. I've I've talked to too many people who believe in the conspiracy theories and the QAnon and the this and the that. I have family members that are neck deep in that, and it is a religion. It's it's a cult, and I I don't think that at this point that there's a way to save them beyond just waiting for them to get to rock bottom and saying and you know. Sorry, but for the rest of us, I think that being vigilant and being careful, making sure we don't fall into those mindsets to begin with is prevention at this point is a big part of it for me. Go ahead, brother. I think that, so we know scientifically that 
that climate change is happening and we have already passed certain thresholds where if the oil consumption stopped 100% today, we're still going to keep increasing in our net carbon and our heat for a certain number of years. That's just inevitable. It's science at this point in time. So in a lot of ways, I don't think we, if we waste a lot of our time and our resources fighting with the people who don't believe or are going to resist, that's going to leave less. I think that the only real solution is to look at our the interaction of our intentional communities. So taking the people that we know, that we love, that are all into conservation or, or environmental work or spirituality and connecting, making sure that we know all the other communities in the area that were there to support each other. How can we support the indigenous communities? How can we support the, the water protectors? How can we support each other with a, a vast network of intentional communities. And that doesn't mean they're all living in the same spot. It means that we have decided that we're doing mutual aid and looking out for each other. I think some of the aspects of climate change are inevitable at this point in time. So we have to be wise about what we're building even now that we'll be able to pass on. I think we're at the point where, where that's on the horizon and react and how we, how we are proactive instead of reactive, is going to be a big determiner on how things go moving forward. Yeah. And I'm going to be really blunt. I mean, if we look at it scientifically and through sociology and, and, and any number of other metrics, it's not just the seven fires prophecy that's telling us this. Science is telling us that indigenous communities are the best answer to a lot of the climate crisis not only how they see community, but how they treat the land, how proactive indigenous communities are in, in um, watching out uh, for native species and land management. I mean, scientifically, it's really hard to deny that, that indigenous communities and our support of them is really what's going to do our best job at saving the planet. Yeah. It's time for the young brother to follow the older brother. Mm -hmm. And I think that at least in the environmental movement, um, this is already happening with the advent of permaculture, which is essentially based on indigenous principles of land management. Um, the, the folks in Australia essentially learned permaculture from the native Australians. I think that's the, really the long and the short. And when you get down to it, it is indigenous land management. Um, Actually, that kind of leads to a question, if, Nathan, I'm I kind of curious because, you know, you hear us talking about this and you interact with a lot of people that are protesting the pipelines and that sort of thing. And we even with that aspect of the spiritual hunger that you you mentioned earlier, how do we who are not indigenous best support indigenous communities and how in your experience do indigenous communities feel when People like us who are European descendant are, are asking for ways that we can help, knowledge. Uh, how, how do we best approach that? Well, that's a good question. It's not an easy mm -hmm. answer, but I'll do my best to try to answer it. Um, first off, I want to say that as an herbalist, I had an, uh, a moment there when I was out in the land looking at the plants and looking at their relationships to each other. 
And I just started to realize that these plants are working together, even though they're different species. They're helping each other out, the trees. Uh, there was a tamarack tree that had juniper all around it. And I was looking at that going, why is the juniper around that particular tree? It's almost as if it's protecting it. And I came to the conclusion that that was the mother tree. And from that tree, there was the little offshoots that came out for the other trees to go from its roots. But that was the important one. So the juniper, in a sense, was protecting that. Um, and this was, you know, I don't know if this is any any book or anything. This is just my own personal observations. Uh, um, and, and then just some of the plants in general that, that are around and how they are in community with each other. So I thought to myself, you know, we learned our medicines from animals. You know, the bear would dig up a root and someone would probably seen that and said, huh, I wonder what that root is. I wonder what that's good for. And that's probably how we built our medicine cabinet, our indigenous herbal medicine cabinet by just watching the animals and then trial and error over thousands of years. But then I started wondering, how did we understand how to build community? And, and maybe it was from our observation of plants and the observation of nature and how it works together and how there's community there because there is community too with animals. You know, there is animals that you would think that would never hang out with each other that, that do, they help each other out. So that right there is probably part of the answer to your question. Um, where can we fit in and what can we do? And then, you know, what is allowable to do? So, so he, here's my thought. This is my own personal thought. Um, I, I like allies. We need allies. You know, um, we've always needed allies, every culture for some, for something. So, so first off, to me, everyone's welcome to what we're doing here. You know, trying to shut down line five, shut down line three. Everyone is welcome to that. Um, there, there are a few people, you know, that have fe funny feelings about that, but that's, that's their thing. That's, that's not the general understanding that I hear from the, the, the community. And that is that we, we are working with everybody. Everyone is invited. Um, I think as long as the respect is maintained and maybe if people ask questions that they don't know, that's probably a safe way of approaching uh, situations, you know, and, and so how do we support indigenous communities with what we're doing to like shut down the pipeline? Is that what you mean? Is, is this what we're referring well, to? I mean, is this even beyond the pipeline, I mean, the, obviously the pipeline is a huge part of it, but we know that, you know, there's still horse residential schools being uncovered. There's uh, pushes yeah. against voting rights on reservations. There's just all kinds of things. And even in, sometimes in depending on the community, there's simple basic needs of, of food, water, and medicine. And so like, how do we I, help I would, all this? I, I would say, you know, this is a good way to talking, having discussions, talking to someone that's indigenous, understanding their situation don't think you know everything about indigenous people because a lot of people don't, especially people that never hung out with them. Um, have a conversation. That always helps out. Um, there's a reason why we always talk about having our treaty rights, you know, protect our treaty rights, support our treaty rights. These were agreements that were made with the United States. They're, they're not old. They're not outdated. They're just uh, they're, they're agreements that were made that we want the United States to hold true to. 
So just even being a supporter of that, like, like saying, yeah, I agree with that. You know, we, we made an agreement. We got the land from these people. We could at least honor these, these agreements. So, so that is a huge thing for us because that, if you respect our treaty rights, that allows us to do the things that we're trying to do, you know, with, you know, shutting down the pipeline, stuff like that. But, uh, you know, if, if you want me to, add, uh, to tell you what I think needs to happen in the United States that would help out indigenous people, well, definitely put curriculum in your schools that, uh, that teaches about the local tribes in your area, as well as the history before uh, the Declaration of Independence, you know, what was happening here. I think that, to me, that's a given. That should already exist, but it does not. Um, respecting our treaty rights, protecting our treaty rights. Um, and not viewing us as a threat to your lands or whatever. You know, there was a thing that Little, uh, Little Trevor's Bay Band was trying to do. They were trying to draw their, their old border lines that they had with the reserve. And part of the, the reason why they were doing that was for uh, legal jurisdiction. And the main reason is because, you know, the problem with missing and mur- murdered indigenous women, uh, a lot of times if something happens on tribal lands, uh, you know, there's a rape or what, what, whatever, anything like that. We can't try that person. We can't, if he's mainstream, we can't try that person. So, so this would have helped us out with that jurisdiction uh, to have that, not to take away anyone's land, but they shot it down, you know, the, the courts and, and they didn't agree with that. But, you know, so many times, even the courts make decisions that aren't in the spirit of these agreements that were made, these treaty rights agreements that were made. My dad always used to say, never deal with the state. And when you're dealing with your treaty rights, always deal with the federal government, because whenever you deal with the state, guaranteed something's going to be taken away. And if you look at the history of all the times that tribes have dealt with states, it's so true. You know, we have here in this state, we have what's called a consent decree, which is basically uh, kind of fine tuning what the treaties mean. But in uh, Wisconsin and Minnesota, they don't have a consent decree because they went to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court agreed that they, their rights are retained under their treaty rights. But here in Michigan, we have what's called the consent decree, which we're currently working on right now, a new version of that. And it restricts us. So, so um, helping out would be asking questions, showing support. If you don't understand something, ask somebody. If you don't know what to do, because I know, I know, especially with cultural misappropriation, stuff like that, I know some people don't know what to do. But the worst thing you could do is not anything, is nothing. That's the worst thing you could do, is, not, is, is become so afraid that you don't even want to ask a question because you think it's going to offend somebody. You know, most indigenous people that I know, if you ask them a question and you don't know, and they, they could sense that you don't know, they're going to be respectful with you. They're not going to go, you don't know that, you know what I mean? They're going to go, they're going to help you out. We're not going to, you know, I'm not saying this has never happened, but, you know, we're not going to, you know, tear someone's head off if they, they, they ask the wrong question, but just always ask questions, ask where you can help to that particular community, whatever community it is, whatever the situation is, ask questions, find out who the, 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 the person in charge is or the, the, the nearest person or an elder and start there. And, um, and they'll let, they'll let you know. They'll tell you what they need or how you can help. So I, I actually have an interesting question for you that if you cannot answer, I understand. Um, but it, it's something as a 
European descendant walking a pagan path um, and having a friend that is uh, Lakota and has taught me very, very little about uh, his traditions, um, but enough to help me understand, I guess. What sort of advice would you give to someone of my lineage and my path and how to live in better relationship with the land spirits that I live with um, and on, you know, because obviously the land that I currently possess was not always mine. Um, What would be the best way for me to interact with them in a respectful manner? Okay. Well, I think, you you know, the connection you have with your garden, like the way you grow a garden, that's kind of, that same connection like we have with the lands, especially me. I mean, you're, you're talking to someone that harvests everywhere. So I have a vast connection. And I remember, I, I remember harvesting a lot when uh, we had, you know, when the company started, we had a, we had a co-founder. Uh, she's no longer working with it. But when we started out, I used to harvest in the woods and I harvested with the ideal that I was making the connection not only with me, but also for her as the co-founder of the company. But then as time went on, I started to realize that's not really fair because the connection that I'm gaining from being out in the woods a lot to the lands is my connection. It's my personal connection. I, I can't make that for somebody else. It's personal. So I stopped thinking that way. Like I, I can't think that way and not, not to be selfish, but I just, the connection that I, that I make with the lands is from my experiences that I've had with them. Um, the desperate moments that I might've had were I was in a snowstorm and got stuck out in the bush in the wintertime. And I had to go underneath the tree and, and, and not know if I could get back. And, the, you know, I was all sweaty and wet and everything, you know, that's, these experiences that I've had at different times or the Eureka moments of finding a plant or whatever. I mean, the connection is like uh, the connection you have to like elders or your family or visiting. I, I, I don't know really how to put it into words other than I go and see them often. And I have said to them goodbye when it was fall time, like last year I did in a certain area that I really enjoyed harvesting I said I'm going to miss you and I'll see you again next year you know be safe and so I felt compelled to say that you know it was not something that was taught to me I just felt very compelled to talk that way to an area that has really provided for me and and taken good care of me so you know um that's one thing. But the, the other thing is, you know, when I, when I walk through plants, I, I avoid, even though I'm walking on plants and grass, I try to avoid certain plants. Well, most of them I, I try to avoid. I, I walk with intention to not hurt them. Um, I put tobacco down using my left hand because that's closest to my heart. I put tobacco down to 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 let them know that I'm coming in what my intentions are who I am why I'm there why I'm harvesting medicines uh what I'm going to use them for who's going to use them and that 
my activity there is going to help the the plants grow. You know, when we walk on roots, that's stimulating the roots and making them grow. When we cut some of those plants, that's also stimulating them, making them grow. Um, there's a saying that we have up here: if you don't, um, plants will go away if you don't use them. So, so it's, there's a, there's a teaching in that. I didn't understand what that meant. Now I do because it's my activity when I bump seeds when I'm going out harvesting from certain plants. That's creating that making that plant stay but the connection is the relation and the relationship is being there and being there and doing whatever you love doing and then sharing that moment maybe with mother nature don't look at it as an it or an object look at it as an entity that's that lives just like you do and breathes just like you do and, you know, perhaps maybe even thinks like we do, but we don't know that yet, do we? And we don't, you know, we don't know how far, you know, there, there's an understanding of plant intelligence right now that that uh, is just at the very beginning part of how intelligent these plants are. But, you know, we we were just having this conversation about uh, at, at the fire that they had today in the, in the community I live in. We were having a conversation about uh, the lakes and how people are trying to make them into a person or, or a river. This river is now a person, so it has legal rights. And someone brought up a good point about that. This is a little a little different from what you had mentioned, but it has something to do with it. So the river, if we were to make a river into a person, a legal entity, they brought up this point. They said, well, if we do that, then that means that a human could interpret what the rights of that river would be. So that means any human could do that. That means even like a company could do that. Kind of the way corporations are. Corporations are a, 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 an individual. And then so it takes away all the responsibilities from all the people that own that corporation. So, you know, in, in the same way, a river, the way they're doing this now, you know, in a couple of places they've done this, making a river an entity by itself could in fact endanger it because all someone has to do to say they could speak for it is buy the land around it and then say, well, I'm the speak, I'm the spokesperson for this river. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm the one who talks for the river. So there's a, there's a true danger in that. And, and we, we just carried on the conversation and, and basically said, you know, the river is greater than us. They are, they've been here longer. They are more significant than us as humans. And when you think about that on that level, so is the land. The land is deeper than us. And that's why, you know, when we see the stuff that's being done, it, it's, it, it's very hurtful as indigenous people because, you know, we're raised to, uh, to take care of the land. You know, it's, it's a responsibility that is given to us to take care of the land. So, so it's a relationship. It's, you know, I'm looking at the clouds right now. I'm looking at the sunset, the clouds, everything up here in the UP, the trees, everything. And just being here right now, I'm developing that relationship. I'm parked in this, uh, this near this boat launch on Pine River. I've never parked here before, but I'm observing the trees, the goldenrod that's around me, and some of this wild parsnip, which I'm not a big fan of because it's like poison ivy. And if, you get on, if it gets on you, it gets pretty bad. But I'm building a relationship just by being here. I'm feeling that wind blow on me, you know, and, and just I'm hearing some kids in the background having a good time. So 
So it's, I don't think of this as just me sitting on the side of the road talking on a phone. You know, I'm, I'm here. I'm a part of this. So, so it's really hard to explain, but I hope that makes sense. It's, I mean, my best way to explain it to somebody that, especially someone that's gardened before, it's that relationship you have with that garden, that responsibility you have. You know, I have to water the garden. You know, I have to go take care of it. You know, I have to make sure it's okay. Well, I do the same when I wild harvest. I check on places. Is that plant ready yet? Oh, what's going on? Oh, someone's cutting, cutting, clear cutting over here. Okay. What can I do? Can I do anything about it? You know, just things like that. So I, I look out for it. And the last part I wanted to mention about this that was also talked about with some of the Little Trevor's Bayman elders is that um, just to give you an idea of how far out we think about this relationship. So we, we pull bark off trees and, and, and they still live. Birch bark being the greatest example. We could pull birch bark off of a tree and it'll still live. But we also do it with different trees like basswood um, and some cedar trees as well to make baskets. And it still lives. We just take a strip off the side. But when we do that, we're making an agreement with them. We're saying, we're going to protect you. We're going to look out for you. You're going to live long. So when people come and they clear cut after we make that statement, that does not sit well with Mother Earth and it doesn't sit well with us. So we were talking about maybe talking to the DNR about having those trees designated as culturally significant trees because of our activity that we do with them. But see that, Right there, that just the fact that we're worried about that tree, that we use that bark, that single tree, we're worried about that one little tree where most cultures probably could care less. But we're worried about the agreement that we make with them. So that is our connection. And I I can't really explain it other than just your own personal relationship with the land. Go out there and meditate. Whatever it is that you enjoy doing that brings you happiness and, 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 and at some point, the plants and trees will start communicating with you like they do with me, mainly with trees. Trees, like they, they make popping sounds when I walk through the woods. And that usually means look around me. Look around me. There's something here that you might find. So. I think you explained it uh, very beautifully. And there are certain areas, uh, parks down by me that... Uh, I visit often um, and I, I don't ever take anything from there, but when you were talking about um, gathering things, harvesting things from specific forests and areas that there are areas that you go check on to see if a plant is ready. Um, I have a park right down the road from me that I visit often um, where I will, I have certain areas of the park that I go check on because I have been either helping it um, from human damage or from all the rain that we've been getting um, and stuff like that. And then we also do the same thing at the farm that I work on. Um, every morning we go around and check uh, certain areas and make sure that what we are doing is actively helping the land that we are cultivating. And um, I honestly, I, I talk to all of my plants because they are all wonderful, wonderful people and very sweet and I always, I always feel a little bad when I have to cut them back or prune them or um, fix something that has been damaged either by pests or animals or whatever. And I always find myself talking to them saying, I'm so very sorry that I have to do this, or I'm very sorry that this happened to you, but let me, let me care for you um, to make you better. And I actually brought a rose bush 
on the brink of death back to life. And she gave me a flower. She gave me one final rose for the season. And I was like, Oh my God, success. I did it. Uh Oh, and I think you're, you're absolutely right. I think that's probably the, the best answer anybody has given uh, to that question of how do we live in correct relationship with our land? Why I appreciate what you said, you know, that, that you're right. That plant did give back to you. It showed you the love. And, uh, but I, I don't think negative when I'm harvesting because I'm asking permission prior, you know what I mean? So, because when you do that, you're putting that energy into that plant when you harvest it. So it's better to, to maybe look at it from a, uh, like a positive thing, like, like I'm, I'm, I'm cutting you back, but you're going to grow back. You know, all these plants that I cut that I harvest, they, they'll, they'll grow back the next year. You know, there's, there's probably some that are exceptions, but I also seed, you know, like right now I was going to collect some seeds and I, 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 I didn't get a chance to, but that's fine. But, um, you know, I, I, I so I was going to say this to you when you do like cleaning up, do you feel like it's work? Like this is just something you have to do or are you doing it because you know, it needs to be done? Um, I, Actually, neither. Um, I do it as an offering to the spirit of the land that I visit and a thank you for allowing me a safe visit and to give me a place to find peace in an otherwise chaotic life. Right. Well, that's 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 great in itself. I mean, that's so. So like if I pick up garbage from a place I harvest from, I'm making a connection. When I do what you just said you're doing, you know, you're looking around, making sure everything's okay. You're making that connection. You know, it sounds to me like you already have that. You might not have been aware of it, but maybe from this point, it could grow even more. But mm-hmm. it is special to have it. I take it for granted. And uh, and I, I start to realize that when I talk to other people about my connection to Mother Earth. And they, they're like looking at me like, wow, you know, like <laughs> they never heard of that stuff. And I'm just and I, then I kind of start to close up. I'm like, maybe I shouldn't be telling them this stuff. But, you know, mm-hmm. it's I, I want people to feel connected to the earth. And, and the, the big reason why is because I want you to become allies and help us out in the environment when we need help. You know, uh, whether it's, you know, sharing a post online or, or you know, signing uh, a petition or, or actually being involved in actions, you know, I, 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 I want to share why I do it. You know, I do it because I love the land and I make use of the land. I eat food from the land. I've learned quite a bit about it. And I think it's, uh, it's, it's, it's my therapy. You know, I get frustrated with the world. I, I go out in nature and then I'm, I'm, I'm excellent. I feel great after that. So, so Yeah. Nathan, before I, we've had you on the line for quite a while, so I want to make sure I ask, and the, the links will be in the show notes for all of our listeners, but I want to ask any ways that you think we should uh, donate to or places to support the Line 5 resistance. I'd like you to tell us a little bit about your Facebook group and also about your business if you want to. Okay, sure. So I'm with a group called Mackinac O'Day, and this was started two years ago. And uh, like many people who are veterans of Standing Rock, we were there in 2016. I was there twice. I was there when the, on the front line with the dogs when the first, that first dog attack happened. I, it was weird that I was even there for that. We got there the day before me and my daughter had no idea what we were getting into when they 
we were in the Red Warrior camp and they they called us. They said, we need all the warriors up front. And we weren't even the Red Warrior. We weren't even supposed to be in there. <laughs> we just have, we were kind of being tourists. So we just looked at the lady that said that. We said, okay. And so we drove up a quarter mile and we started walking down what looked like a four-lane highway being built, dirt. And then people started dropping off. They started dropping off and get down to the end. And it's like a movie scene, literally like a movie scene. People are chanting, you know, and it's like a movie. There's a bridge there and there's just everyone's chanting and the dogs are there and people are screaming. And I just walked right into that whole thing. Like this is before it even became national. There was only two, MSNBC and uh, Democracy Now! were the only two news channels at that time covering it. And uh, after that day, everything changed. You know, the dog attack stuff. Now, I was right behind that frontline group. And, uh, you know, that was life-changing for me to see that. Um, my daughter, I left her back up on a hill. She kind of seen the whole thing. She was really young at that time. She was, what, um, 12 years old. And so, she, you know, here she's witnessing all this. And uh, when I got back, I didn't realize how that kind of damaged me, you know, inside a little bit, uh, the inhumanity of that, you know, of, of it, the point of where some humans who are protecting this oil pipeline actually thought it was okay to use dogs on peaceful people that are unarmed with children. And th- this, is, this is okay to use these dogs. Like, what kind of mind? would even come up with that thinking that was okay to do. And then to actually be there and witness it firsthand yourself. So after we got back, my daughter interviewed me and and I, I couldn't believe how much emotion I had in me over that. Cause when you're in it, you're standing strong. You know what I mean? But I had so much emotion, mainly just the, my disappointment in humanity to, to even think that that was okay. So subsequently, they never did that again. Uh, to my knowledge, they never used dogs again. But just the the, the stupidity in in that, even even from a PR perspective, how negative that comes because that experience there, that dog attack, led to all of the whole world finally watching that. That dog attack that day led to Standing Rock becoming what Standing Rock became. Oseti Sakawan. That 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 is. The event that changed it. So, you know, went there twice, went there the second time for the veterans thing that happened uh, in December, got caught up in a bad storm. So we came back, you know, we were already were a blind five. We already were of that problem. We came back here and that's, and, and everyone came back from Standing Rock and went back to their home. And then, so we started bringing up what was happening in our areas and helping out. So, so that's where, you know, we started you know, I started going to the different board meetings for Enbridge, speaking up, talking about them and everything. So anyways, this led to the creation of uh, Mackinac O'Day, which was in uh, June of 2019. And that means Heart of the Turtle. We felt that was an appropriate name because we're right there on Mackinac Straits and Turtle Island uh, is in our creation stories. That's one of the areas where the, there was the great flood and, and this uh, turtle came to be, uh, which is Mackinac Island. So it's our it's our our sacred area, one of our most sacred areas for the Anishinaabek people, kind of like our, our Jerusalem. So we did, uh, we did the Mackinac O'Day group, which was just basically a a collective of people that, uh, 
do actions uh, to support shutting down Line 5. We were watching them, monitoring them, videotaping them. See, we're in a different scenario here in Michigan where we have a pipeline already in the ground. Line 3 in Minnesota, they are putting in the pipeline. You know, so they had they were able to do a lot more to try to stop it. But here it's almost like we can only just do actions. We could raise awareness. We could do events, which is what we do. So to support us, I would just say support some of the events that are happening. There's, a, you know, Labor Day weekend, there's the Water is Life Festival that's occurring up here. That's not with our group, but it's another group that we that we work with. And then also the Paddle Out protest that's happening Labor Day weekend. You could, you could support their efforts. That's an immediate thing to do right now. Um, Mackinac O'Day, we have a, a, a donation button that you could make. That money, all of that money is used for any of the events. Uh, gas money we give to people, uh, or, or even hotels or motels, I should say, for uh, people that are traveling. You know, I've, I've donated so much of my own money to it that it's just... It's nice to have that extra donation money when it comes in because it's always for something like that. It's never for really what I'm doing. You know, I'm, I'm sitting here driving an old, very old car, um, but I like helping people out, especially the people that are coming here from far distances to 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 help us out. Um, and, and so that's that's where a lot of that money goes towards is helping helping get these people logistically here to help us out. So, so the, the, the donating to, to, to Mackinac O'Day, uh, I believe there's a, there should be a donate button. We just switched the site over. So I have to look tonight. If it's not on, actually, it'll be up by the time this is up, it'll be up there, but it's just a, 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 a donate button. Um, participate in activities and actions. When we have them, come participate. Don't be shy. Come out with us. Hang out with us. Have a, we have, we always have a good time. Um, so that's www.mackinawode.com. So that's for that part. That's for the line five, shut down line five, shut down line three. Uh, I have a business and that business is called Herbal Lodge. And this is one of the reasons why I started doing uh, shut down line five, because we wild harvest from the area. Uh, and so we have a responsibility as indigenous people to protect the land. So I thought this totally goes in line with what I'm doing and my beliefs. So that's why I'm an advocate for shutting down line five. Some of those medicines that grow right along there in the Straits, I harvest, I've harvested like tamarack, uh, tamarack bark uh, from the tamarack tree. So, you know, these are very important areas to, to us. And last, and in May I did a plant walk. I called it the treaty plant walk. And I did that to, uh, connect people with the the plants um, in the area and the and the importance of them, the significance of them, and why we need them, and why it wouldn't be good if the pipeline leaked. So Herbal Lodge, we make a pain relief salve, a muscle pain, joint pain, arthritis, fibromyalgia, a nerve pain salve that's good for um, nerve damage, and then one for dry skin called Nojimog. It's good for eczema, psoriasis, cracked hands, cracked feet. We also sell herbal teas and we sell uh, mushroom teas like chaga mushroom. So this, having this business gives me the freedom to also do the pipelines. You know what I mean? Because I, I don't have to go in nine to five, you know, but it also gives me a bigger connection to Mother Earth because I'm out here more, you know, 
So I, and I did, I discovered some things out here. You know, I, I, I discover some missing traditions or, or there's, there's a lot of gaps in our culture, uh, in some of our teachings and that, but I, sometimes I'm able to fill them in by my own experiences of being out here in the wild. So an Herbalodge, that one is, uh, www.herbalodge.com. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Um, Sarah, Caitlin, any last questions that we want to squeeze in real quick? I no? can't think All of right. anything. You've been very thorough and, and oh, very Nathan, patient thank you so in answering much. questions and sharing so much with us. Um, if yeah. we were here physically, I'd be more than happy to hand you tobacco for all the wisdom you That's share. right. You got yes. that. Mm-hmm. And when you were talking about the work you were doing uh, out in Minnesota, you brought tears to my eyes. So oh, I, uh, I guess you, we traded off on the, the emotion tonight, but thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for this talk. I, I greatly appreciate it and all the work that you guys are doing. Well, thank you. And it is, it is all of us, you know, I, I don't take credit myself for all the, the beautiful work that all of us are doing that are water protectors. And I want to thank them. I, I love all of you who are water protectors from line five, line three, you guys put so much uh, heart and, 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 and you guys make me tear up when I think about the work that you guys do. Cause I know we all know how it is. Uh, you know, we, we, we take things, we're taking a piece of our life and we're giving it up for mother earth but it's a worthy cause. And, um, and sometimes there's struggles with that. Sometimes, uh, sometimes they're internal struggles. Sometimes we, there's fights and arguments that happen with, with people that are trying to do the same cause. But, uh, I always like to remind people that, you know, I'm not here to, to fight or argue with anyone here. I'm here to build unity and I'm, I'm here to, to shut down line five and line three. And, um, and we need to always remember that to, to work together to work with our allies, to be supportive of one another and uh, do what we can to help each other out. We appreciate you spending the time with us tonight so much. Um, it is, it's really been wonderful and heartwarming and emotional. And I feel like short of actually sitting down face to face with each other, I can't imagine a better conversation. This has really meant a lot to us. So we appreciate it a lot. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. And I appreciate the questions you guys asked. And I, I could tell you guys lots of love I'm feeling from you guys. So I really appreciate that. Even though I'm up in the UP and I have a bad signal, I can feel the love. So, well, so. if you're ever downstate, you, you let us know. You got some guest rooms waiting for you. So mm-hmm. I appreciate that very much. And I'm sure I'll, <laughs> I, I hope to meet all of you guys personally one day and, and maybe share some more stories. Absolutely. I would love that. Yeah. And, uh, Thank you to all of our listeners, all our Patreon supporters. You guys support all of us so much, and we appreciate it. Your support helps us to bring you shows like this, and whether that's a monetary donation through Patreon or it's just spreading the word. And on such an important topic like this one, protecting water and land rights and treaty rights, we really hope that you will help us by spreading the word and and getting this show out. Um, But we do. We appreciate you all so much. Once again, Nathan, thank you. Chi Miigwech for joining us. And we'll talk to everybody else next time around the fire. Miigwech.
Oh